Good evening, everybody. We are. Oh, you can't see my face yet. Only my voice. No, he hasn't turned the camera. Oh, oh there is another camera, camera there. Okay, too many cameras. I'm sorry. Okay, I didn't realize there were so many eyes in the sky. Uh-huh. And uh, we welcome you to this Q and A. We have loads of questions, and if we cannot finish answering them today. We will go to next Saturday. Tomorrow night there is no Q and A because we need to go home. Home calleth, home deep calleth unto deep, and home calleth unto home. <laughs> Hallelujah! Again, we need to go and uh, to make you laugh. Um, you need to understand what happens uh, behind the camera because you only see us. What happens behind the camera is this. This. These young men have become so smart that uh, you will see suddenly adults becoming infants. They're on their Fords, crawling all under, changing wires, fixing stuff, and you will never see them. And they will be right in front of the camera, but you don't see them because they know how much the camera captures. Okay, so that's why sometimes we laugh because we see all these young men on their Fords right in the front of us and you can't see them and we see them and we need to look at the camera and not look at them so all kinds of things are happening behind the scenes okay so now that we have made you relax and there's a lot of hard work going at the background with three cameras let's go to the questions but before we go to the questions I'll once again request Pastor Vijay would you lead us in prayer Father we just thank you Father for this day, thank you, Lord, for the way that you've been with us all these days. Father, you've been faithful, so good to all of us. Father, we've come through, Lord, so many days of the lockdown. And we just want to thank you once again for this opportunity that you've given to us to share this time together in question and answers. And I pray, Lord, that you would grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that your anointing would rest over us, O oh Lord even as we share these questions, O oh Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, uh, take all the answers, O oh Lord, that we give here, O oh Lord, and make it relevant to all those people who are asked, who have asked them and those people who may be having the similar kinds of questions, O oh Lord. You are able to do it, O oh Lord, more exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask or think. And therefore, this evening, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would grant us, O oh Lord, the grace and you would keep us from error. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that, Lord, your anointing would rest over us, even in the speaking and in the hearing. And, Lord, your name will be glorified in all that we do, O oh Lord. Your name and your name alone will be glorified. And therefore, we rely on the Holy Spirit. Let us decrease and you increase, O oh Lord Jesus. We thank you for this time once again. Come at all the equipment, the camera, the transmission, and everything, O oh Lord, into your hands. We bind every power of darkness, every force of the wicked one. In the name of Jesus, and we release this time for the glory of God. Let your name and your name alone be exalted. We thank you. We praise you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. By the way, I would like to say that we have questions again from all over the world. And uh, usually we put give you priority and not from GDC Hyderabad. When GDC Hyderabad sends me questions, usually I tell them, Chup hoja. We are there, no? So let me give preference to those who are from outside our local church. So we have from US, like I said, to Australia, Middle East, from 
other states, even from Sikkim and Bhutan and Far East. We have, I'm, I'm, and uh, we are surprised that so many people have so many questions and the questions are often similar. Mm. That it doesn't matter which part of the world you are in, the problems mankind faces is inside and they are all kind of similar. So we thank you for your questions and now Pastor Vijay, you can go to the first question. So this is question number 10 in your list, Pastor, and let's read that. Dear Pastor James, thank you so much for teaching the word during these lockdown days. It's really helping us as a family. Now, kids are also able to listen along with us as they are staying home. I believe surely there will be a harvest of the word uh, preached during this time of famine. So I have a question. Jesus was born into Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, unlike us who are born in sin. How can Jesus be tempted at all points when he doesn't have the weakness of sinful nature like us? It's, it's, it's a huge theological question. But, uh, no, like, I listen to the answer to these questions from theological grades, as we call them, big names, but I still prefer to go to the Bible and get my answers, even if uh, I, I try to stick to the word, though I listen to all the greats and read up their works, like I know even the greatest of greats outside the Bible can go wrong. And I'm not saying they went wrong, but I'm saying they can go wrong. So always it is safer to come back to the word. And I would like on the screen, can I have Romans 8, verse 3 and 4? And then Romans 1, 2 and 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son. Now, this is where you have to be very careful what the Word of God says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. If it was written likeness of flesh, then we could presume that his flesh was different from our flesh. Let's, like there are two, two groups. One says he had the flesh of Adam before he fell, and, or did he have the flesh of Adam after he fell? Okay, so here it says in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Okay, so that's what the Bible says. And then if you turn with me to Romans 1, verse 2 and 3, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, According to the flesh, he came from that line, Davidic line. Okay, while the other side, verse 4 will say, and declared to be son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. Okay, so there are two things over here. If you ask me which do I believe, I believe what the word of God says. See, then how do you reconcile the fact? Because theologians always struggle with this concept. How could Jesus be fully God and fully man? You know, and if he was fully God when he incarnated in the flesh, then how does his struggle become similar to our struggle? If you look at, again, uh, Hebrews 4.15, Scripture says he was tempted at all points. Hebrews 2.15. 4.15. 
Cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but us in all points tempted as we are. The question is, then how can we be tempted as we are? How can we be tempted as we are? Uh, so how do you reconcile these theological issues? And I will say most of the all-time theologians prefer to fall under that category that he was fully God and fully man. And also this, there's certain mysteries which we do not understand. But this is how I want to look at it is that, because then the issue comes about Psalm 51 where David says, uh, in sin I was conceived, okay, shaped in iniquity. So what about Jesus? But the issue is here when you are talking about that nature, that sin nature, or rather we talk about iniquity. The Bible is very clear. Iniquity is passed down from the father to the son and the daughter. So Jesus was fathered by God. The seed was the Holy Spirit. So he was birthed in righteousness, not in iniquity. Mm. Yet he gets his fleshly nature from his mother. Mm. Fleshly nature from his mother. And when we are born again, it is the same thing which we have. We have the, we are birthed in righteousness. The seed is God. It's word, his spirit. We are birthed by the word and the spirit. And we have the other fleshly nature, which we got from our fleshly parents. So that's how I look at it. And I see that Jesus Therefore, suffered in the flesh. Now, if you go to First Peter, chapter 4 and verse 1, 4 and 1. Therefore, since Jesus suffered for us in the flesh, how did he suffer for us in the flesh? It was his daily battle. Mm. Every day his battle was, uh, battle was against sin. And like yesterday, I think, no, we, we were having this discussion uh, yeah, in the after the Nepali service was over, they were asking me in Nepali, like, no, today the struggle is more. They, they were saying that the temptation for man is much more than 2,000 years ago. I said, no, it isn't. It was actually more then than now. Because the reason is that once Christianity came in, see, Judaism was different because they isolated them, they practiced social distancing. Mm. <laughs> the Jews. They wouldn't even enter a Gentile's house. Mm. They never wanted to proselytize anybody, convert anybody. They stuck to themselves. So Judaism did not have an influence op upon the Gentile world. Mm. The influence upon the Gentile world came when Christianity came in. Mm. When Christianity came in and the disciples arose, they were given a very clear mandate. You shall be my witnesses. Mm. In Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and so proselytizing was part of that great commission. So it is Christianity which had the Judaic principles which changed the world. Through which, after 300 years of underground church, the Roman Empire coming in, and then later what happens is Christianity changed the world civilization. So you will see the legal systems of Western world is framed on biblical principles, which also had its effect on the constitutions of all the world. Yes. So if you are talking about Jesus' time, the Roman age or the Greek age, everything was acceptable. Every form of wickedness, as we call it, immorality you are talking about, was acceptable. There was no laws against it. 
polygamy, homosexuality, pedophilia, you name it, it was all part of their culture. This all became illegal because of Christianity. Because Christianity brought the nature of God to the public. So when you are talking about Jesus Christ being born in the flesh, in a nation, in a world where the Roman Empire is the law, okay, Roman Empire and the culture is all that, that is all around that, you know, so they face the same, the same temptations they all face. So, and he's fighting this in the flesh and we are not talking about immorality alone. That's only one part of the flesh. The other side, anger and envy and jealousy and hatred and bitterness and vindictiveness, all this is part of the flesh. And remember, Jesus is fighting all this is in the flesh because he's one person alone. Like, I have fellowship right now in your eyes. I have, I'm born in the spirit by the word of God. He's born in the spirit. So I have him. Like, no, we can share and we understand unlike the other. Jesus was alone, absolutely alone. Mm. He had nobody who could understand his struggles because he's born in the word and the spirit in the flesh and he's the only one, only one. His struggles were different from the other struggles. Actually, he struggled more than the others. Okay, so his struggles were high. So we have to realize he suffered not for himself. He was suffering for us because he had to come in the flesh. He had to be, the Bible will say in different places, he had to be made exactly like his brothers. Exactly like his brothers. So he went through it all till the last moment on the cross. And you will see, but he was overcoming the flesh one day at a time. Every day he overcame the flesh. So the cross on which we see him crucified is a physical cross, but he carried his cross every day, every day. And that is the cross he is asking us to carry. Pick up your cross, like the way he picked up his cross. So that's how I see it. I see it. No, I don't want to go with uh, uh, big time theologians. They are unbelievably righteous and great and holy and everything. But if you were to ask me, and I could be wrong, but going wrong in that does not change like my life connected with God, I do really believe that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. Yes, yes. And they don't believe that. They don't believe that. I believe he emptied himself of his divinity. That he's saying, Daddy, I trust you implicitly so that everyone who follows me can lead that same life. Life. That they can trust you implicitly and you will take care of us one day at a time. And I believe that's how he lived. He emptied. I believe what Philippians chapter 2 says. He, he was equal to God, but he emptied himself. That he did not have revelation of tomorrow other than what the Spirit gave him. Amen. He, he constrained himself just like us. He was made just like that. They don't believe that. They believe he was at the same time fully God and fully man. I don't believe that. I believe that for my sake, he became fully man. He became fully man and you trusted upon his father so that I have hope. Because otherwise there is no goal of perfection in this life. I don't have to be like God, but I can be perfect in God. Mm. That's what he says in Matthew 5.48. Be perfect as as your father. And who is the example? He was the example on earth, in his flesh, 
He was perfect as the father. And that's what God is saying. He's birthing many sons and daughters like that. Because when you talk about perfection, people all get very upset and all that. But that's that's a call. And in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, if you look at it, Revelation 3.21, because this all is connected, 3.21, it's very clear, even to the most insipid church, he says exactly this. He says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on the throne. And then the next part is what is interesting. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on. He says, this is how unity overcome, just as I overcame, just as I overcame. I said, I also overcame in the flesh, overcame sin, overcame the world, overcame the devil, sat with my father on the throne. I've shown you a way you can also overcome the same way. Actually, we have a greater advantage than him, incredible advantage, because he couldn't even, he couldn't even even fall once. Mm. And we fall every day. Yes. And we go back to him and he cleanses the slate and he says, start again, start again, start again. That is that incredible because my death does not bring anybody salvation. Mm. My death, death of the martyrs is precious, righteous, but not the death of any man. The Even Paul's death does not save yes. anybody. Yes. Paul said, only Christ's death comes. So that is where we look at his death, we look at his resurrection, we look at his life, we partake of all three every day. Yes. Every day. His death is so important. That's why the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Every morning. Amen. Every morning. The mercies are new every morning. So that's where his life is different from mine. That when I fall, why can I go back and why do I have an assurance that I am not only forgiven, I am cleansed. There's no record of it left. It's because of his death. And why do I have this hope I can win again? Because of his life and because of the resurrection power. That's how I look at it. So um, ultimately the uh, the fact that the greatest test for him in terms of uh, overcoming sin was to extend forgiveness every day. It says, First Peter chapter 2 says, mm-hmm. he, he left us an example, 21, yeah. that when he was reviled, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to yeah. the one who... It's it, it, it just not forgiveness. It's just also not reacting in the flesh. Exactly, reacting. Essentially. Reacting in the flesh. Mm. You only react, because sometimes it's not just forgiveness. Mm. When you react, you have to react according to the spirit. Mm. Like when he saw the Pharisees, yes. he had anger, which was a righteous mm-hmm. anger. Because we only focus on one side, then we do not react the way God wants us to react. Mm-hmm. Okay, sometimes we have to react in righteous anger. And you will see he reacts. He will confront hypocrisy. Okay, and sometimes God will ask us to confront the spiritual ask. At that time, we cannot be still and say that, no, I will be forgiving. Then we are falling into the flesh. The spirit has both sides, the kindness of God and the severity of God. And that is, you you cannot be kind when you are called to be severe. And you cannot be severe when you are called to be kind. And that's where the spirit, we have to hear very, very clearly and allow the flesh to die. Yes, Pastor Vijay. This question is, uh, Pastor, 12 and 13 together. 12 and 13 13 together. together. This is... uh, because we are just looking at that topic. Yeah, this Jesus. came from, I do not even know, no, I mean, yeah. the name is very, so I'm not mentioning the names, but it sounds like Far East, Far East, Indonesian, or uh, one of those kinds of names, Chinese, not even Chinese, yeah, Chinese too, possible, yeah, but I don't want, it doesn't matter, I just, just excited that we have questions coming in from everywhere, yeah. 
Why did God prescribe capital punishment if somebody was caught in adultery? By stoning when people who stoned were themselves not qualified because of their sin as pointed out by Jesus in the New Testament. God permitted man to eat every moving thing after the flood. Later in the Mosaic law, he permitted only certain kinds of animals to be kosher. Christ in the New Testament declared that all things are clean. God's original order of marriage was what God has joined together, let nobody separate. In the Mosaic law, he allowed divorce of for non-adulterous reasons. Is it difficult to understand how an unchanging God made a concession with regard to divorce just because of the hardness of their heart? Shouldn't he be more concerned about his reputation, that his law is perfect, than the feelings of a sinful set of people? Christ came and restored the original order. How do we reconcile the immutable nature of God with differences in how we dealt with the same problem in different periods? What a question. It's an awesome Fantastic question. question. Fantastic what a question. question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, now uh, I'm not like this. my answer may satisfy you, may not satisfy you because we are talking about something that is absolutely connected with God. It's not a man's problem. Yes. You are asking us to answer something which is God's problem. And no man, <laughs> it's beyond any man's pay grade. Okay, but let me go step by step. Um, there are different periods in the Bible. We talk about the period of conscience, then the period of the patriarchs, and the period of the law, and then the period of grace. And in each of this period, God is revealing himself to mankind little by little by little. And it's, 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 it's simply like uh, I would do with my child, how I deal with my child for the same offense when he's a toddler, mm. a rebel, rebellion in a toddler, no, toddler. And how I would deal with rebellion in that same child when he's five or six years old. And then as he gets older, okay, and, but what I'm dealing with is the same thing, is with the rebellion, okay. But I am dealing with, I haven't changed. I haven't changed. Mm -hmm. What I'm dealing with is as he is changing. My nature still remains the same. What I am dealing with as he is changing, I am dealing with it. So that's how I see God's nature never changes. But man does not have the capacity to know him. Now when Jesus Christ comes and he lives that life before us, he dies us for our sin on the cross and he rises up again. And when the spirit is released and when man is born again by the word and the spirit and now is able to be filled by the Spirit. Now God expects more from us than from any of the other ages. From them, he never expected perfection or anything because he knew no man would be found righteous by the works of the law. But with us, we can be found righteous because first we are imputed righteousness and grow in righteousness. But even there, when people are born again, the Bible denotes them as babies and young men and fathers. So even there, he gives them us time to grow. Mm. And he doesn't condemn. There's no condemnation for anybody who is in Christ Jesus, whether you are a baby or whether you are a child or a young man or a father. Only thing we always want children here. You're very danger because children, you need to grow. Otherwise, you will fall, slip. And ultimately, you can fall onto the other side or 
you lose all your crowns, which was for you. You would just come through the fire and eternity, ending up in eternity, unable to do anything for this awesome God. So that's how you would look at it about the character of God. Then you have asked about two things. One is about marriage. And the other is about, yeah, the eating part. Okay, both are connected. Uh, not connected, both are like two examples. Let me talk about marriage in the Old Covenant. Why marriage was so important is, if you look at uh, 24, Genesis 2, 24, when God created Adam and Eve, and Eve out of Adam, and then he... See, Genesis 2, the fall hasn't taken place. And fall happens in Genesis 3. So there's something about marriage which was there, what I call the principle of marriage, which was there before the fall. Immutable. Immutable, okay? Mm -hmm. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Mm -hmm. So basically... Marriage stands for something bigger than any one of us. Yes. It was, because remember, if Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world, God had factored in everything. So God's original plan was the church. Was the church. And what is the church? What is the whole purpose of the bride of Christ, Jesus Christ? That the bride would be one spirit with God. One spirit with God. Okay? One spirit with Jesus Christ. So because we are made in the flesh, that in the material being, physical being, he put marriage as an example or a type of what would happen in eternity. Exactly. When we would not be having this this body. Mm. Okay? So the spiritual truth is being portrayed before our lives through a physical example. That's why the marriage is the most um, attacked institution on earth the most attacked because Mm. the devil knows very well what this represents Mm. okay what it represents so the man and the woman they shall become one flesh that is christ and his bride would become one day one spirit one spirit okay so what is adultery in the physical the adultery in the physical is where one either the man or the woman becomes one flesh with another woman Mm. or another man. Okay, another man. So what does that happen? That covenant has been broken, meaning that marriage is dead. Mm. And as a symbol that marriage has died, the law said, stone them. Stone them. Stone them. And we will say, why is it so... Such, what do you say, capital punishment is, okay, it's got to do, it has got many reasons. One, because of what it represented. What it represented. Two, is because of what happens between a union between a man and a woman. Understand? What is the result of a union between a man and a woman is a child. It's a child. And the problem about this is, when a child is born, a child is born. Now it's a different age altogether, scientific age. But remember, for 6,000 years, the only one who could, with relative certainty, could tell who the father was, was the woman. It's the woman. 
And even that she couldn't say it if she, let us say, in the same day or in the same week, she had come together with two men, even she wouldn't be sure who is the father. And it was very important, very, very important, because it was the seed of the woman who destroyed the serpent. So adultery would actually go against everything. Everything. So you have to realize there are two reasons why adultery demanded capital punishment under the law. One, because what it portrayed in eternity, the unity between Christ and the church. Second, how? That is why when Judah, Mary, remember, Mary was conceived and Joseph was very upset. And God had to tell him, look, this is not an adulterous relationship. Don't get her wrong. It's not an adulterous. But he always carried the stigma. Remember the Pharisees saying, we know, we don't know who your father is. We know who our father is. Okay, so we need to understand why these things were there. Then again, when you look at after the flood, God allowed them, we're looking at the meat part of it. After the flood, God, uh, God gave, allowed them to eat meat. I believe before that, everybody was vegetarians and they were not meat eaters. The animals also ate grass. Otherwise, how would he stock provision for all these animals? The tigers would be eating the goats and the cows. And by the time the ark came to rest, there would have been only carnivorous animals left. All the grass-eating ones would have been finished, including the birds. Okay, but I believe they all ate grass. And after that, God gives them that sanction. And uh, again, if you look at it, post, post, uh, they knew what was clean and unclean. They knew what was clean and unclean. Though he says you can eat meat, I believe Noah and his sons only ate the clean. Because once he has declared what is clean and unclean, because he knew it, what was clean and unclean, and that the clean ones were the ones he offered as a sacrifice, the first act he does once he gets. So if he knows what is clean and unclean, the question is, you already know what is clean. Because God, somehow by revelation, God has given it to it. Are you going to eat unclean? No. So under the law, it is codified what man already kind of knew. Okay, already knew. Now the question is, the simple question is this. Before the law was given, did not man know that adultery was wrong? Of course he knew it was wrong. It is only codified and given as a law to a nation when Israel becomes a nation. But I believe they all knew. They didn't know all the nitty-gritties of the law, like none of us sitting here are lawyers. We are not lawyers. But what law we need to live by, we all know, in India. It's only when we have, if you have a case filed against you, we go look for a lawyer. Otherwise, we all know basic law, mm-hmm. what to live peacefully in India with the police knocking on your doors. They all, even including our meetings over here, we have meetings. We have social gatherings are banned, religious meetings are banned, and numbers are prescribed, but we stayed within the law by sticking to the numbers and two, not going home. Not going home. No, we didn't go. We stayed. Why did we both practically, and Pastor Vijay only went to see his family and came back once a week, but why did we do that to stay within the law? Because you look at the letter of the law and we look at the spirit of the law, 
Why was this law brought in for the pastor? Why what was the locked in? So that we do not infect. Mm. We do not infect. So Pastor Vijay, me and Sammy and Peter, we look at it over here. Who are we? We are just staying in one place. We are not going anywhere. We are not meeting anybody. So we are keeping the spirit of the law by seeing that we are not infecting mm. anybody because we have socially distant, distanced ourselves from others and stuck to us. And then who are the other two? Is Raj and Appu. They haven't gone even out of the gate. I don't think they went out. They live in the same building. So we stuck to the law. Okay, so we didn't, we didn't have to worry. We stuck to the law. And so in the same way, I'll give you, give you an example about it from Genesis 26, 5, if I'm right. Yeah, 26, 5. Very rarely I can remember verses like Pastor Vijay, okay? So whenever I do it, you need to clap. <laughs> 26.5. Okay, this God is telling Isaac. And he's saying, because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. But when did the law come? 500 years after this. 500 years after this. But Abraham knew. How did he knew? By personal revelation. God gave it to him. He passed on to Isaac. Isaac passed on to Jacob. Jacob passed on to his sons. And they went to Egypt. When they went to Egypt, Israel already knew, passed on by tradition, what we call oral tradition from generation to generation to generation. And then Moses hears all the details and he writes it down and he comes down and he becomes the first lawyer in uh, Jewish history. That's how I look at it. Yep. And even though the law was given to reveal the heart of sinful man, the yeah. whole purpose of the, the law. Purpose of the, the law, law yeah, that you cannot keep it, keep it but keep it will, it. yeah, d- d- turn you to Christ. Mm, exactly. Turn you to Christ. And uh, about Jesus having made all things clean, I don't believe it. There are certain things immutable about God. And one of the things is that you don't eat all animals. Wuhan virus wouldn't have been here if man hadn't been eating bats. Okay, and certain things, because if you believe all things have been made clean, no. Even when Jesus is speaking this, he's speaking it from the, the spiritual context. Jewish context. context. So you cannot take that away and mm. say, no, he's saying, no, he's not amen, saying that. Amen, amen. He's not saying that. Mm. All right, Pastor, so this is not going to be a difficult question, Pastor. This is question number nine. Nine. Uh, because we are just looking at that in context. Okay, so. that place you can leave it out. That uh, that that this yeah. this part you can leave it out. Sure. Okay, we thank you for this question. We are hearing. We just thank you for every one of you. I know you are one large group, forty plus people, young to older, and I thank you for every one of your lives. Gives us great encouragement. Your lives and what God God has done in your lives. And the fact that you wrote to us, we just thank you for, thank God for every one of you. Not that in any way we are better than you. All of us were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Our salvation, sometimes actually for God it was easier to save you than us because we were self-righteous. No? P-R-I-G-S, Briggs. Okay. So, uh, we are all cellmates with 
Yeah, okay. So and so people, mm. we were asked to tune in to hear your message. Right now, we are online on Facebook. Couple of questions. We are all hookers. We have been in the business for over 10 years. From the age of 15 to 40 or 50. We chose to remain anonymous. We are, we hear all the time, Jesus saves, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the healer and the deliverer. All of the churches have asked us to come to church, but Christians never let us forget our past. It always comes up. How do you shut people up when they nag about your past? There are times we want to throw all these men, pimps, customers, and throw them in the forest and burn them all up. We hate them. We are stuck in a pig pen. Our mind has become numb towards people, feelings, men, women. We hate ourselves. Do you blame us? Now some of the pastors tell us, walk out and walk with Jesus. None of you realize our state of being. Please explain how we could do this without being hurt or without a scar or wrinkle. It's difficult to understand this. Uh, first Boy. question I have to ask you, dear sisters, is this. In that second line, in the question I have, he says, we are all hookers, which people who may not understand means the term slang for prostitutes. My question is to you is, were you all hookers? Are you all still hookers? If you are still, I would say, come out. Because until you come out, it's very difficult to answer even this question. And uh, I know you are in a safe place now with uh, that ministry. And uh, my request to you is first come out. You've been in this business, you say, for 10 years. And uh, time doesn't matter. Uh what I have to say is first come out, come out, because unless you, it is the same principle for anybody, for you or me. Let us put us as examples, okay? Just let us, we are putting ourselves in examples so that you know how we do not look as one sin has terrible and another sin. Jesus did not save us from sins. He's changing our nature, the sin nature that causes us to sin. That is what scripture means by we were born in sin. Let us say he is addicted to alcohol and I'm addicted to porn and you sell your bodies. We three are in the same boat. (laughs) If he wants to come out, he has to be delivered. He has to come out. And what is causing him to do it? It is old nature. What is causing me to do it? It's my old nature. What is causing you to do what you're doing? It's your old nature. So the first thing you come to Jesus Christ is that you repent from all the works. Don't repent about selling your bodies. It's not that. It's not that. You repent from everything of your past life. The good, the bad, the ugly. The good, the bad, the ugly. Everything. And you turn to Christ Jesus for your salvation. That he saves you from that old nature. Puts his nature. Seed form. Because this has to stop. Again, I will tell you. This is from example. um, From my life, ministry, how we do it. I picked 
two examples from Jesus' life. One is Lazarus who was dead for four days. And there was that little girl who was dead for a few minutes or a few hours. Remember the girl who was 12 years old? Yes. And Lazarus was an older man, dead for four days. How he reacted to them both are different. I look at as two spiritual examples as two people, both sinners, dead. Can we have Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2? This is our spiritual reality and not our physical reality. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So it does not matter what trespass, what sin it is. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. What causes us to trespass, that is to break the law, God's law and sin, is our sin nature. Okay, So there is a 12-year-old child who is dead. And let us say a 40-year-old man who is dead. One is dead for a few hours or a few minutes. Another is dead for four days. Okay? Both. But both are dead. So those are two pictures that is given to us of man who is dead in his sins and their trespasses. To the little girl, he says, Tabitha, come, little girl, rise up. And he says, give her something to eat. To Lazarus, he says, unbind him. The little girl, because she is young and she has not lived in the flesh for too long, he says, feed her the word. She will grow strong, learn how to overcome. To Lazarus, he says, unbind him. Some people need deliverance. Some people do not need deliverance. Okay? So some people need deliverance. And it is the same God who does it both. Some people need, like I said, some people just need forgiveness of sins. Some people need healing from the wounds, scars. Like you, you, you sisters who have written this, if you have come out, it's, your sins are forgiven when you come to Jesus Christ. But that's not enough. You need healing for your wounds because you have been wounded, not in your body. Body also, you may have, have been wounded. Some of the customers have been violent, nasty, beaten you up. The pimps would have beaten you up black and blue when you refuse. But that's not what, that wounds can be healed. But there are wounds in your soul. And then you need deliverance because what happens is with every person, you call them customer, you had sex, you also partook of their spiritual history. So, demonic also. So you need forgiveness for sins, you need healing for your wounds, and you need deliverance, all three. And it is the same God who does it. Okay? So how we dealt with that little girl, and how we dealt with Lazarus, these physical pictures are for servants of God, how to deal with people. How to deal with people. And through it all, his compassion is the same. It's the same. Okay, it's not that he's more compassionate with the young one who did not, or a person who did not sin much. And yes, it's dead in the trespasses. And with somebody who was a hooker, as you call yourself, for ten years, no, his compassion is actually he has more compassion for you. you. Yes, more compassion for you. But forgive the church members, pastors, all of them, because you know, many of them also walk in the ignorance of the word. Ignorance of the word. Okay. And they do not understand. They do not understand.
how the kingdom of God works, how the spirit of God works. They were ignorant. And uh, uh, I want you to, I want you to look at one verse uh, from the book of Acts, especially because even if you do not answer all the other questions, it is fine because there are some questions which are more important than anything else. Like the Bible says, when one sinner repents, there is unbelievable joy in heaven than for hundred who don't need to repent. Okay, so I would love to, I'm, I'm personally ministering to Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Not thirteen, thirty, three, zero. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Okay? Seasons of ignorance God overlooks. All that you did before knowing Christ Jesus and knowing who God is, His holiness, whose righteousness, when you come to God, God overlooks all that. He, he does not charge you with your history. He overlooks, he forgives, he cleanses, and he forgets. Okay? But he commands all of us. When you hear about what my son has done, he says, repent. And repent of everything. And when you come to Christ, you begin as a new person. But remember, you need healing. And that's why the Bible calls Jesus as the balm of Gilead. You need healing for your wounds. Because remember, uh, it's a psychological phrase, but it is true. Hurt people hurt others. That's why we need healing. Not only do I need healing for my own sake, I need to be healed so that I don't hurt others. Others. Because hurt people hurt others. Then you need deliverance. Though you are saved, if you are saved, I mean, if you have all come out, repented and come out of sin, and you are saved, you have too much of demonic oppression. You're going through demonic oppression, not possession. If you're demonically possessed, you wouldn't be writing this mail. You're oppressed. Mm. You are oppressed. And you need deliverance. And uh, I would pray at the end of the message, but I would also say the ministry with whom you are staying and that sister is a much older person, godly person. She would pray over you. But you need to fast. No, You cannot live in sin and expect deliverance. Because first you need to ask yourself, what do I want to be delivered from? You want to be delivered from the powers of darkness that causes you this oppression. So first sin has to stop. And then you will see the power of sin will break over you. I'm not giving you names and all, but we have so many who came like you. In some of our churches, let me tell you, over the years, people who came off the street, we had over a thousand sisters like you who came off the streets. And they used to go out. You know how your timings are in your profession, if we call it a profession. They used to come to one of our churches in one of the nations, I'm not mentioning online, for the 10 o'clock service. And they got saved, delivered. And they used to be ushers in one of our churches, many of our churches. Then they used to go out and bring the truck drivers for the 10 o'clock service. You know, the truck drivers are 
many of your customers. And they brought them in and they got saved and God was working an incredible revival in that particular community where our church and our church faced unbelievable hostility from the system because I know how your system works. Okay, I know how it works because I heard from all my pastors. When one prostitute, I don't say come out, I use this term very clearly, one prostitute becomes a princess because all God's children are princesses and princesses because God is a king. When one prostitute becomes a princess, you know the gangs who run you, they lose money and they lose money big. So the pimps come after you. When one pimp becomes a prince, they are losing money. So we had to face incredible hostility and violence and gangs coming after that. But God protected us and brought us through. Our pastors got beaten up left, right, center. But they all came through it. And they all came out. Lots, hundreds and hundreds of prostitutes came out. Pimps came out. Drug lords came out. So I'm telling you what I know is true. What God can do. You have to believe in this God. But I'm not worried about your past. I'm worried about your present. Ask God to cleanse you out from inside. Okay? That is, you are so angry. Mm -hmm. Don't be angry. All of them, we are all born of Adam and we were all born that way. Tendency to sin. And God all saved us all freely. So don't hate. Don't hate. And... uh, don't hate in that, uh, stay. I, I'm praying that you come out, come out. Like, like we always saying the 60, 60 days of, uh, lockdown showed us how simple life is, how little we actually need to live, actually need to live. Like even when I'm talking to you, I think there are 43 of you. I also am ministering to another 20 of them, some other place, I'm not mentioning another 20 of them. Who came out of something worse than you? Worse than you. You at least were used and you made money out of it. The others were used and they did not make money out of it. And they were young kids, young kids, young kids. They were used for rituals, same problem, same business without money in it. But they are on fire for God now, all of them. On fire for God now, saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Training, listening to the, listening to the messages. So I'm talking to two sets of people who have come through. The thing is that, let me explain it to you this way. You, you need to deal with these things in the, what is inside. Because that's what will destroy you. That's what will destroy you. Because, let me go to the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and words 15 and 16. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any sexually immoral, that's that translation, fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his... Look at the order God has put it. Now we would put the the fornicator on top. But God says, no, I'm looking at the inside first. Then we will look at the outside. He says, what is more dangerous is the sins that are inside. Sins that are inside. And thought, you know what? You could have been 
Let me, uh, let me say, you could have been a prostitute who was made to sell her body and not become bitter inside. So you only sold your body, you did not sell your soul. Because mm. you are forced into this trade. Forced into this trade. Meaning you only sold your body, but you did not sell your soul. So now God says the salvation is the salvation of the soul. And then the body is healed and the body refrains from being used as for a work of evil. Now, turn with me to again Romans chapter 6. And you have to trust, listen to the messages we preached yesterday, today, and tomorrow we'll preach again if the Lord allows. Okay? 6, 12 and 13 and 14. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you with this because we cannot do this in our power. But God has given his own spirit to help us. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that it should obey its lust. Okay? Do not present your members as instruments of righteousness. Members means parts of your body as instruments of righteousness to sin. But present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members, parts of your body as instruments of righteousness to God. Okay. Now let me tell you, because sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You're having issues with churches where you went and you said people did not uh, ever forget, let you forget. So let us see. They were looking at you and with their words, attitude, whatever, they were judging you. You sinned with their body, but these other members of the church uh, judged you with their eyes and with their tongue. Mm. So they were offering those, and we don't see the seriousness of it. Because somebody could sit there and say, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't fornicated, and yet could be a gossiper, mm. a gossiper, and uh, no, look down on somebody, and God sees and judges both the same way. And the thing is that it is easier for the one who is selling her body because she's always aware of her sin to be saved than the self-righteous one who says, I never did any of this thing. And without realizing, you are under the same or even harsher condemnation. That's why in Hebrews 12, God puts says, guard your heart. You can guard your body. Guard your body. Okay, guard your heart. So both matters, both matters. We are not saying the sins of the body are lesser, no. But you, how do you overcome is by guarding your soul. So to my sisters over there, I want to say is first step, stop that profession. Come out, come out. Otherwise you will keep on going through that cycle and ultimately you will die and you will go to hell. Because Jesus came not only to forgive us, because repent, you cannot turn to God without repenting. There is nothing like that in the Bible. From the beginning, Jesus, when he started preaching, and Peter, when he started preaching, what he said was, repent and turn to Jesus. Repent meaning, cease from what you are doing and turn to Christ Jesus. You will have forgiveness for your sins and God will give you the gift of his Holy Spirit who will give you new life and give you power to overcome sin. And after that, if you fall, run right back to Jesus, repent, be cleansed, 
and you will see that he will give you the power not to go that way. Some of you, it may take a little time, but I will tell you, you can come out of it like just like this. That's the power of God, if you believe. You can come out. And then don't worry about what people say. Ultimately, I said, what matters is what God says. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what people say, you know. So, uh, you have to believe what God says, ultimately. Once you have stopped sinning, you are saved, and you are walking under that, and God says, you are my daughter, it does not matter what people say. And you have to live by that. Yes, I think that was a sermon, <laughs> but it was issue was so big, you know, and God's heart is for you. And by the way, the 20 uh, who came out like you, the young kids, and uh, and uh, in my language, my language, that is my mother tongue. We all have different uh, mother tongues. Same father, but different mothers. Mm-hmm. God is our father. Mm-hmm. And, okay, different mother tongues. In my mother tongue, uh, the word kuti means child. Child. So those 20 of them, young ones who came out, uh, writes to me, calls me Daddy PJ, and tells me, uh, call us kutis. Uh, we don't want to be called by our this thing because it's got a very bad s- feeling in our society. So I call them my uh, 20 kutis, okay? And I see them as my children. I'm just telling you, okay, if I can look at 20 kids who came out of that background as my own children, as my own child, how much more God, much more God Hallelujah. will be able to. And I'm telling you straight away, for me, they are children. They pass, it doesn't, if it pass doesn't matter to God, why should it matter to me? It should not matter to me. And I really, really love them as my own children. And they are very, I'm more fascinated, not fascinated, excited when I hear from them that they are praying and they are reading and they, because like when Pastor Vijay and Peter and all, these are normal kids. When they pray and they read, we we'll say, oh, okay, that's good. When they do it, it's great. Mm. It's not good. It is great. Hallelujah. It's great. It's awesome. So I will tell you the same thing, okay? We don't judge, but we do love. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, I think this question number eight will be a significant question, but eight? I, I believe it's come from the 20. If I'm right. No, no, no. This is not from them. Okay. This is from, if I'm right, it is from Middle East or Australia. So let's, can I read that? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, uh, we have received the gift of tongues. We pray more in tongues. But in Corinth, it says, if you don't Corinthians, have... Corinthians, yeah. Corinthians, if, uh, Corinthians, it says, if you don't have the interpretation, don't pray in tongues. That is confusing. How come when we pray, we have this peace around us, but when we pray in tongues, it is such a tranquility and, and serene atmosphere. Yet the Bible says, if you don't have the interpretation, don't confuse people. I'm confused about this now. Um, let me tell you, I'm so tickled pink by Hallelujah. your, your, not just your question, but your experience. I, I hope all the big time theologians were to hear this. <laughs> they don't believe in this big timers, okay? And they miss that tranquility which you, you have experienced. Okay. Because I know the backgrounds in which you have come through and how God has been so good and He baptized you in the Holy Spirit. Now the, 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 Portion you are talking about is coming from First Corinthians chapter fourteen. First Corinthians chapter fourteen is the the most authoritative portion in the Bible which talks about tongues. Now, in First Corinthians chapter fourteen, 
Paul is talking about what is happening when they gather together as a church. Mm. It's not talking about anything else. He says, let us say 100 people gathered in the church and they are from different homes and different backgrounds and everything else. And the problem is everybody starts praying in tongues. You create confusion. Mm -hmm. You create confusion. You create confusion. Because what has the church gathered for? Let us say in our modern day terms, they have come for a worship service. Yes. And the problem is tongues. Now, I want you to, so that I explain this to you very, very clearly. What is the purpose of tongues? So that we understand that. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, for those who may not be very strong in English, edify is from where we have the term edifice, which begin means a building. A building, edifice. Magnificent edifice means building. You look at a cathedral and it's an incredible edifice. So he who speaks in tongues actually is building himself inside the soulish portion. He's building himself. He's strengthening himself. He's building himself. He who prophesies, prophesies primarily here means not just the gift of prophecy. It actually means preaching. Preaching has to be prophetic. What is the difference between teaching and preaching? Teaching is we are teaching from the word of God, the principles of God's kingdom, the nature of God. That's teaching. Preaching is like tomorrow morning. If I am preaching, I will, you will always see that often I will say today is a teaching session and not a preaching session. Preaching is I'm teaching from the word of God, but I have received a word from the Lord for that particular moment. Therefore, the word which comes across as teaching becomes prophetic, meaning it is Living, because this is meant for now, though it will have application through your life. That's what prophecy. So he who prophesies in the church, who is teaching or preaching in the church, he is edifying or strengthening the whole church. So there it is where it is saying, when you come together as a church, what does it say? Uh, if anyone preaches, okay, uh, uh, let me come to there. Yeah. Verse uh, 5. Can I have verse 5? I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more than you prophesied. Okay. All spoke with tongues. So what is he actually implying there? There were so many in the church who do not speak in tongues. Mm -hmm. Who do not speak in tongues. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. Meaning, what's the difference between prophesying and tongues? Now, here, okay? Now, you go towards 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. So, tongues is a language you don't understand. Prophesying is always in a language in which you understand. So I'm prophesying to you or teaching you now in English. Now, if I were to speak in my mother tongue, stupid my mother, even my wife doesn't understand. If I were to speak in that tongue, it will sound like tongues to you. 
Now imagine, you are all gathered around the world in so many places. You are all gathered in the houses, in groups, and hundreds and hundreds are gathered in houses and different different places you are gathered. If I speak in Malayalam, will you understand? Okay. <laughs> he knows a little Malayalam. But you know, in different, different homes, all those who were Malayalis understood exactly what I said. But it was lost on the others. Hmm. That's what the Bible is saying. He who speaks in tongues speaks in an unknown. Amen. Unknown tongue. And he himself doesn't know what he's speaking. Yes. It's not speaking. But he who prophesies, now come to verse 5, we will understand what he is saying. When he is prophesying, what is he doing? I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive what? Edification. Edification. So when I speak in tongues, who is edified? I am edified. When I speak in, when I prophesy, who is edified? The church. The whole church is edified. That is the confusion here, which I have to make it clear for you, brethren. I think it's from the Middle East or Australia. I think it's from the Middle East. Okay. So when you're gathering together as a family and you are praying, you can pray in tongues. Absolutely no problem. And if the church puts aside a time, even the church comes together and it is prayer time, I would always would say that if you are going to pray in tongues, see that all of you pray in tongues. If there is one person who cannot pray in tongues, then it is better not to pray in tongues unless that pr- person understands and says, I have no issues, I am also waiting for the day I will receive it. Because we don't want to, a gift is something which you receive does not make you better than somebody yes. else. Please let me let you know. If you don't have a gift, that does not mean you are lesser person in the Bible. Because if you go again to that, because that Corinthians portion is where all the gifts are explained. If you come to verse 12. 14, 14 12. Uh, chapter 12? Chapter 12, sorry. Yeah. Chapter 12 was 14. And verse 11. Chapter 12, verse 11. Verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Okay? So he's the one who decides. And he looks at one, two, three, four, five, six people sitting over. He looks at us and says, okay. He looks at us. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows and he has called us differently. We are all parts of the body, mm-hmm. the same body. Purpose is different. Mm. So he gives us gifts according to the purpose. Mm. And we sovereignly receive it and say, Lord, thank you. This gift is like I have a gift for teaching. It suits my purpose. Mm. Suits my purpose and I thank you, God. On the other hand, Peter may have a gift which is to edify people through worship. Praise God. Samuel's got a gift where he can put all these things together and everybody is able to see and listen. And we don't realize what is it called. I will tell you what it is called. It is there in the Bible. And people don't accept those things. Uh, chapter 12. Yeah. And verse 27 onwards. Uh, onwards shall we read. 27 to 30. It is beautiful. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. teachers, Okay. After that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps. You know what is helps? 
What are doctors? Oops. What are teachers? What are nurses? We are not talking in the secular term. A doctor who has been anointed with the Holy Spirit and has been gifted is a doctor with the ministry of helps. Mm-hmm. Okay? What is Sami? What is the gift Sami has? It is the gift of helps. And it is helping literally thousands and thousands of people and they don't even know him. But it's a gift that is working. And if I try to do with uh, what Sammy is trying to do, you will not hear me nor see me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who decides this? God. The Holy Spirit decides. God does it. Okay. The Father, the Son, and the, the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit. All three are involved in it. Let me prove it to you again from Scripture so nobody has to feel bad about it. Mm. Go to verse 4 of the same chapter. 4, 5, 6. 12, 4, 5, 6. 12, 4, 5, 6. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. That is Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. And 6. There are diversities of activities. It is the same God. God. Hallelujah. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is involved in all. Amen. Awesome. No, it's awesome. You see how, how humble they are. They are. They work together as one unit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is no issues among them. And he says, I want the church to work like that. One unit. Again, we will show something which should really bring encouragement. Okay? Okay. Let's go to chapter 12. Okay? Verse 14. Oh, 12, 12. First we'll read verse 12. And then 14. For in fact, the body is one and has many members. And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. Okay, my body has so many parts. But it is one body. When I came in here, nobody said, oh, the feet is coming. You said, Pastor James is coming. (laughs) Okay, like especially in uh, Olympics and all these races in 100 meters, that's the defining moment of an Olympic is that 100 meter race. And you see the guy who finishes first, he finishes with his head. Mm. And usually it is this part or his nose or some people finish with their chest. Okay, But whichever crosses the line first, maybe it is the tip of his nose, it is said, Carl Lewis first. Why? But what crossed first? His nose. Mm. And because the nose is part of the whole body, the whole body gets the credit. It does not say his nose came in first. It says he came in first. We have to, that's why God explains these things in which way we can understand. We, Christ is the whole and we are all parts of the same body. And read from verse 14. But the body is, yeah, uh, in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear is to say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? How would you hear? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Mm -hmm. Now people haven't read these parts to find how funny God can be. (laughs) Just imagine Peter walked in and the whole Peter was one nose. <laughs> and you know, if the whole Peter was one nose, he can't even speak. He would be sniffing and snipping and sneezing all his life. God has got a sense of humor. 
Where would be the body? And now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would be the body be? Go further. Now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Hmm. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Look at how beautiful it is. And our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. There should be no scission. That is division in the body. But all members should have the same care for one another. And the simplest example is, there are parts of our body which we do not see at all. The heart, the lungs, the liver. Protective casing has been given for that. None of us would ever see our heart. But boy, it has great honor, though we do not see. So right now, for the rest of the world, they see him, they see me, and they don't see the rest of you. Does that mean, in God's eyes, the rest of who do, are not seen have greater, less honor? No. In God's eyes. Man's eyes, yes. It's a different thing, because man does not see as God sees. In the eyes of the world, they see both of us, and they listen to both of us. They don't know you. They do not know you. But in God's eyes, no. That is why scripture says, everyone who serves, let him serve unto the Lord. Because on that day, it could be a completely different picture altogether. Suddenly, all those who heard us will hear say, Sammy, well done, my good and faithful servant. And everybody is waiting for Pastor James to be called. Mm-hmm. You know why the difference is, I didn't preach in the morning. Mm-hmm. I didn't preach in the morning. Tomorrow morning, Pastor Vijay won't be preaching. But today morning and tomorrow morning, there will be somebody who has to be faithful in what he's called to do. That's Sammy. Mm-hmm. So you saw us for 64 days, but we were in there every day. Mm-hmm. But he was there every day. Peter was there every day. You know, Raj was there every evening because he's also working for his company, work from home, so he has to work. Appu was there. Dr. Richard was there. Okay. So you see there are a lot of people who do not see who are more important than us. Mm-hmm. I could skip a day if I want. Like tomorrow Pastor Vijay will skip the whole day. But can Sammy skip? No. No. He cannot. No. Cannot. Let me say. When I go to sleep, the legs go to sleep, my hands go to sleep, my eyes close. Does my heart stop? No. Nope. It never stops. If my heart stops, <laughs> then you are done. That's what God is talking about. In the world, we see with our eyes many, many prominent people and we say, wow, what crown they will get. God says, that's not how my kingdom works. That's why yesterday also I was talking about what the kingdom needs is people who will never be seen. A set of people who will commit themselves to prayer. Let me tell you, children, my 43 children uh, who are listening, my kids, the other kids who got saved during the same 60 period, that's what they are doing. And I love it. 
Nobody will probably ever know them, their names, who they are, where they are. But if they set their life apart for prayer, you know, they will receive greater rewards than those who preach. Okay? And they will, those people who are really, really pray. And there are people like that in the world. I know. I'm not even mentioning names. Even in India, I know people who pray like that. After they got saved through our ministry, we have never seen them after that. They, they shut themselves 24-7 and all they stay is in the prayer closet and never come out other than to eat. And some of those sisters had lived the life which was at the top of the spectrum. They were the wives of some of the most prominent people this nation has seen. But when they got saved, they withdrew into their closet. They heard very clearly from the Spirit of God, this is what you have to call to be do. And from them I hear once in a blue moon, because they don't even write. They only pray and pray and pray and pray. They knew this is what they have been called to. They don't even come out. They're wealthy, they have servants to do everything else, but they know we've been set apart to pray. So what I'm talking about is that during this, God will raise up a set of people who will know this is, and they will never be seen, but they will be declared in public on that day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. So that's how you have to read tongues and uh, min- different ministries in the kingdom of God. We don't give prominence to this one or that. We honor everybody. We respect everybody. But some of those unseen ones, uh, I mean, honestly, in our church, it's uh, we are not boasting or flattering or anything. Honestly, in this church, if you look at the past five or six years, <laughs> the church, the actual practical part of the church ran because of Sammy. Mm. Sammy is the first one there on Sunday morning, Wednesday, setting up everything. Sammy is there and any good things go, we shout at Sammy. <laughs> Sammy, 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 you know. And nobody knew. You know, it was Sammy setting the sound, setting this thing, everything. And that's how he became so good. When Sammy came, Sammy, did you know these things? <laughs> no. He didn't know. <laughs> like, when we started preaching, we were terrible. And then we became better. The gift was being used. and That's how you get better and better and better. The more you use a gift in the kingdom of God, it becomes better. The Holy Spirit makes you in the same way, Sami. And the lockdown made him into something else. <laughs> he with, like he said, I mean, I don't know whether he's from in, in Nigeria or he's from India. Because in India, we are able to make anything function with spare parts. <laughs> We'll pick up spare part from a Toyota, fix it into an ambassador. We can do. That's why we have a term in India which is called Jugad. <laughs> okay? And Sammy is Indian in spirit. He can make, every shop is closed, everything is, he made all these things function without parts. How we manage to do it, so it's a gift. It's a gift. And we don't see that gift. God uses. Hallelujah. <laughs> So, since the I'm telling you things, people sitting in New York will call Sammy and he will sort out their software problems in the computer on the phone and the computer starts working. Actually, you give him a computer, it starts working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gave up on my Mac thinking that Mac is gone, it is finished, it is dead, was working on my iPad thinking and I forgot about my Mac and I said, then I remembered and said, Sammy, my computer is crashed, it is gone, it's not even coming on. He took it and gave it back. It's working perfectly normal. He, he, he is, made a dead thing come alive. Yes, he just said Lazarus come out and it comes <laughs> okay. out. <laughs> okay. So we see there are so many gifts in the body <laughs> and we don't see that. We don't. Even Peter did not know. Like Peter sitting here did not know he could worship 
lead worship non-stop for 60 days. Morning. And three languages. And two are languages where he sings and worships without knowing the meaning. But he knows it is godly. <laughs> All kinds of gifts are being. You know, Apukuti never knew she could be the hospitality in in charge. <laughs> in charge. For 64 days, feeding and taking care of quite a few hungry men. Hallelujah. You know? Yes, Pastor Vijay. So we have the question regarding Peter therefore, Pastor. We'll go. Oh, we shall go. Peter, there's a question about you, Peter. So there are two questions, but we'll take them together. Okay. So, uh, question number seven. You told Peter, the worship leader. Okay. Peter, you may be part of the 24 elders worshipping Jesus. But what about us? <laughs> I'm sorry. This is funny. Okay, but what about us who can't sing? Can't we be the part of the worship team in heaven? Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Yeah, my wife does that always. Joyful noise in the house. And I say, honey, you are good. Okay. And again, uh, question number three also, Pastor. We'll look at that. Brother Peter sings and plays the piano. He always asks God for help. He always comes against demonic oppression. He binds powers. Please explain. When he sings, does he write this on paper and repeats it because he says different things, different prayers? Does this come from his heart or does he write it every day while he's singing and praying? Just want to learn. I play the keyboard and the guitar. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Two Peter questions. Peter two is too shy, okay? <laughs> he's not like he is before the camera, okay? After that, Peter is the most shy person in the church. Okay. Now, I was just kidding about Peter being the one of the 24 elders because that is God's prerogative. <laughs> Who am I to decide on elders? <laughs> I cannot even decide on the elders in the church without them fighting. <laughs> he kept on saying there are no elders in the church, but there were lots of self-declared elders in the past. <laughs> I remember a pastor asking, I know what an elder is and what older is. <laughs> but the question is, what do the elders eld? <laughs> because we know what pastors pastor. Oh, right? What does an elders eld? Okay, so that's up to God. I was just kidding. Okay, and by the time it's not doctrine. It was just a presumption. This has got to do with worship because of the number. Please don't take it as a doctrine. I could be absolutely, totally wrong. The 24 elders function could be something completely different. But uh, I believe they are they are humans. They are not angels. And uh, I know mm, who they are. But because 24 is connected, only another place in the Bible. Like we, this is how we look at, this. Uh, this is a rule which we, uh, it's not arbitrary, but we follow in Bible called the rule of first mention. Hmm. Whenever something is mentioned the first time in the Bible and then repeated, we take a cue from the first time it is mentioned as a term of uh, of uh, spiritual connotation. So like when Jesus comes to Bethsaida, he looks at all those people who are lame and sick and all that. He asks them and he asks a man, one man alone, how long you have been there and it's 38 years. And the only place you will see in the Bible 38 mentioned is with Israel after the rebel, the 10th time, wandered for 38 years. So here is a symbol of that old Israel who is stuck there waiting for a move of God. And God says, pick up your mat and walk in the same way. So I'm going to combine these both things about there. Like, 
I think I will need it in NIV because I don't know about other translations because it's connected with, in, in, in a way, it makes it simpler for me to answer that question. Uh, uh, Genesis chapter 22 and uh, verse 5. Uh, let's read from uh, verse 1 onwards. That's better. <clears throat> Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I will tell you. Okay, God is just testing him. He'll never ask us to sacrifice anything like that physically. Early next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, took with him two his servants, his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Verse 4 says, On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. This is the law first mentioned. The first place in the Bible where the term worship is used is when God asks Abraham, the father of believers, to take his only son and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. So when we use the term worship, it's, it does not have much to do with songs. It is talking about life. Worship means you have surrendered your everything to God. Your everything to God. That is our pure act of worship. Act of worship. Abraham, when he's an old man, this is the son he had when he was 100 years old. This is the son of his old age, the only son he has. God does not recognize the other son, his only son. And when God says, offer him as a sacrifice, he is willing and he goes. Mm. So when we come to that point in our life, when we keep on surrendering to God, and the physical expression of it is, is our praise and worship. Mm. So if you are singing without surrendering, we have not worshipped. Yes. We have not worshipped. We have only sung. We have, there are two components over there. One is praise and the other is, other is worship. Praise is a reaction to what God has done. Mm. We praise Him. Praise Him. Okay? If you look at it, Go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Verse 15, yeah, 13, 15. Because of what Christ has done for us, the, the incredible sacrifice of Christ Jesus, therefore by Him, let us continually offer this sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Meaning we always thank Him. Every first time our eyes open, it is thanking God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Meaning, I did not die in my sleep. And thank you, Lord. Even if I died in my sleep, I thank you because of you, I know where I would have reached. Mm. And now I did not die in my sleep. You gave me another day. Thank you, Lord. I still have time to run my race. Put things right. Your mercy is on you. So praise is a reaction to what God has done and is doing in our lives. Worship is our act of surrender to God, who He is. Mm. You alone deserve all my... Meaning there is nothing too much you can ask from me because of who you are. I surrender all. That's worship. That's worship. So when we call a person as a praise and worship leader, it's a very simple terminology which applies to something that happens for 30 minutes or 40 minutes in a Sunday service. But that's not what it means. Because we have praise songs and worship songs, we are only saying he's leading the congregation 
in praising God and worshipping God. So if you look at the songs also which you sing, you will see some songs are praise songs and some songs are worship songs. Amen. Worship songs. That's how you have to look at it. So whether you can sing or not, it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. That's not what is relevant. What is relevant is are you doing it in truth or not? Because scripture says that's what makes us all equal before God. One thing will make us equal to God. It is, what is that? It is faith. Now if you turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. What is Abel offering? Sacrifice. What did God ask Abraham to do? Offer a sacrifice. And what did he call that sacrifice? Worship. And why was his sacrifice, which is his act of worship, acceptable by God? Because he offered it by faith. Faith. As simple as that. Faith is an equalizer. Somebody could be an excellent singer and somebody couldn't know how to sing at all. But what makes them both equal is faith. The excellent singer could sing beautifully and never have worshipped if it was not by faith. Mm -hmm. While the one who couldn't sing at all could have actually worshipped in the same service because he was offering to God by faith. He understood what he needs to do. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. So it is not singing. There's a story told by an old time pastor saying about a, a choir in a church. It's a story that there was an old gentleman who was part of the choir and he was, as he was growing old and his voice was cracking up, so the pastor told him from next Sunday, uh, I don't want you in the choir. So he was heartbroken. The old man was very heartbroken because he loved worshipping. So the next Sunday, he did. He was not in the choir. And it took off very well because the previous couple of Sundays, because he went off tune, the choir was affecting the choir conductors. You know how big they are on sound and symphony and all that. All that is good. But the pastor had a dream in the night. And the dream he had in the night was that Sunday when the worship took place, God tuned off. Because he says in that entire church, there was only one man who was worshipping and he's not in the choir today. I don't want to listen. And the pastor had no clue. The entire choir's worship was dependent upon one person who he thought was off voice. Mm. And he restored him back to the choir. said, you need to be back in the choir. Because worship is about God. It's not about people. It's about people. And I remember the first days, centuries ago. I'm not that old. okay. Uh, but when I first went to ages, first went to ages, I still remember I went to ages. No? I'm also like Peter, very shy. Don't want to be seen. Sat in a corner, this thing over there at the edge of the aisle. It's a large church. A lot of people. And uh, service was over. Pastor Watson ran and came to me. And he said, James, are you going to attend my church? I said, yes. He said, I want you to join the worship team. I said, I don't sing. He said, I don't sing. He said, I didn't ask you whether you sing. He said, I want you to in the worship team because I want people who worship in my team. Hmm. Worship in my team. And I was, and I was there in ages only for a few months and then God moved me to another state. So 
I used to be before the microphone, close my eyes, more out of reverence or fear, I don't know, <laughs> and move away as far as from the microphone so that in no ways do I affect the singing. And you wouldn't know that when I actually left because I was, God was moving me to another state when I moved, came out those days, I was a rookie. Okay. And, uh, the senior pastors prayed over me and they sent me and when I came out, you wouldn't believe how many people came and told me, uh, Brother James, we are sad you are leaving, but we just want to tell you, your worship impacted our life. And I didn't even realize that some people even heard my voice because I would stay away from the microphone as far as possible to see that nobody heard my voice because I knew I wasn't a singer. Okay, So what I'm telling you is that you need to understand what worship is. Worship is not about singing. Singing helps, but singing is not, not worship. Worship is primarily, it is surrender. Worship is surrender. And that's what God looks for. Okay, my brethren, therein, please do make a joyful, joyful noise, noise unto the Lord. Lord. Okay. Pastor, Pastor, we'll take one more question. Yes. For the question. Oh, it's 9.30. Okay. It's just one part of the one question because I don't want to keep question numbers. Uh, the other questions are a little more serious. Uh, this is question number five. Only one part. Okay, Pastor. Uh, this is. Can I go to question number two? Because it's an important question. Instead, we'll go to two. Okay, okay. Fine. Okay. Pastor, I can find. Because that's a serious issue. All right. So we came in today also connected with that. All right. So it says, my family, after I got saved, seven members died. Does that mean something? Seven is God's number, right? In 14 days, seven members died. We are, we are not upset because we know they are in heaven. I dreamed about this also. Okay, now I know it's gone more than seven. Today also somebody died. Okay, let me tell you the, 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 uh, I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I know grief, I know you are grieving, I know you are losing family members left, right and center. Let me tell you it's also got to do with the faith you have come from. I'm not mentioning the faith because you know from which faith you came from. Like I said, one of the issues, one of the primary issues your particular community faces is is the nature there is too much intermarriage among close relatives. Close relatives. Too much intermarriage. That itself, you know, after a point, God separated that and said, you cannot. Mm -hmm. So he is doing, in the beginning, how is he? He's making changes. So that itself has created lots of problems. And one of the things you will always notice in your community is that many of your children have fits, epilepsy. And many of your children have mental issues. It's also got to do with your religion and the kind of occult practices in the religion. And unlike any other religion, all religions have an element. I'm not talking about faith. In all religions have an element of, element of violence. But let's be honest. Your religion is the most violent. It was born, birthed, and grew by the power of the sword. So what has happened is that there are so many curses associated with your religion and the people of your religion. The victims have cursed you left, right and center. And therefore you will also see the effects of it in your families. Really, really effects of it in your families. So 
So what happens is that when you come out of it and come to the Lord, there is an immediate reaction that is happening in the spiritual realm that they go after the ones in your families, the weak ones. Like I always say, the strength of a chain is only as strong as the weakest link. So you will see a lot of children have died. But thank God they knew the Lord and gone today. An uh, infant also died, but uh, died in the sleep. And uh, But this will happen, don't worry. But I will also say that therefore you need to surrender absolutely, completely. Remember, many of you clans, family members, especially if you are from the bigger, powerful ones, have blood on your hands. Blood on your hands. So you need to go before God, cry out to it, repent about it all. Cut it all and you have to absolutely believe there was a transference that took place on the cross. That the Bible says he became a curse for us. See, different scriptures come alive for different people. And for you, this should be the scripture in uh, the book of Galatians. You know, the Bible says, cursed is he that hangs on it, on, on, three, uh, fifteen. Three? 15 yeah, uh, not fifteen. Three. Yeah, three and words uh, thirteen. Thirteen, yeah, so thirteen. Yeah, thirteen and fourteen. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And you have to take that and believe on verse fourteen. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we may receive the promises of the Spirit through faith. Every one of you needs to believe that, Lord, everything that we have done and the curses that have come, especially this curse of death because of bloodshed. Okay, there's a difference of curses. Because the Bible is very clear about that in the book of Galatians. What you sow in the flesh is what you reap in the flesh. Okay, One of the reasons wherever Paul went and got beaten up was also because before he came to the Lord, he was beating up people. Hmm. That's what he sowed, zealous for Yahweh. So he was also reaping. I'm not saying it's primarily that, but one of the reasons is also that. Because you cannot reap what you have in sowed. Yeah, what you, you cannot expect that. The Bible is very clear. So if in my family, let's my father and my grandfather and great-grandfather all were very violent people who killed people, then that comes upon me. It comes upon me because that is what was sowed. But on the other hand, like it was not they sowed in some other area, then that's what could come to me because what is what is sowed. So you have to realize. But how do you escape this? You escape it by truly with all your heart believing. Jesus became the curse for us. It stops. That's why it's a new birth. It is not a reformation. Mm-hmm. It is a new birth. It has to be a new birth. Otherwise, it will come back on us. You have to absolutely, totally believe on the new birth and walk in it by dying to the flesh every day. Because how does it come? It comes through the flesh. And the flesh, every day, you have to pick up your cross and die that it is not manifested through your flesh. Because what is sowed in the flesh is what you reap in the flesh. But what I've sowed in my flesh and my forefathers sowed in the flesh, if I am dead in the flesh, it does not, does not come. It dies. And we have to pray and continue to break that iniquity of our children because they are flesh. They are part of my flesh. Though I have died in the flesh, they are still flesh. So as a father, as the head of the household, you have to break it over them continuously that it does not manifest on their flesh. Because these are realities. 
These are realities of the spiritual realm. And take courage, take strength. The children are with the Lord, the family members are with the Lord, and God knows it, what He is doing, but also do what we have to do and apply it by faith. And I believe God will empower you and break it through. And all the other sisters about whom I spoke about it, you also break that curse over your life. Break the curse of prostitution over your life. Mm. Break it. Break it. It may be down up in the family line. Break it in the name of Jesus. Let it be broken and says it will not pass. It will stop at me and it will not even continue in me. Amen. Amen. And uh, that's it. And let me pray for you, every one of you who is listening. Father God, we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all these brothers and sisters who have written, Lord. Their grief is real. Their pain is real. Some of them, their anger is real. But it is not true. Just because something is real does not mean it is true. What is true is what you have said and you are saying it is true. Because God is truth. And I pray, Lord, every one of them, even now, as we pray and join our hearts together in prayer, will come to the cross. And at the cross, we will put it all at your feet. We will die to our past at the cross and rise up there as a new person in Christ Jesus Die, Lord. We will repent, come to the cross, put our faith in Christ and His work and His work alone. And He became a curse for us. All of us, He became a curse. And every curse stops at Him for those who believe. As a president who put that plaque on his table, that the buck stops here. On the cross, you put a plaque, the buck stops here. Every man's sin, every man's trespass, every man's iniquity, every man's curse was put upon your son. Nobody has to carry it anymore. We are free at the cross. There was a divine transference on the cross. My sin, my iniquity, my curses upon him and his life. His strength, His power, and His blessings on my life. And I pray all your brethren will believe now, O Lord. So I take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I rebuke every power of darkness, every power of the devil. Your lie is broken today. You have no power over these children who have surrendered man, woman, and child. Whether they are in New York, whether they are in Chicago, whether they are in any city in US or Australia or any part of the world, anywhere in the Middle East from wherever they are listening. It is irrelevant where they are listening. The Spirit of God is cutting loose them. From the power of sin. It is broken over their lives in the name of Jesus. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let every curse be broken in the name of Jesus. Let every iniquity be broken in the name of Jesus. Let them walk free in the power and the deliverance that the Holy Spirit brings. Where the Spirit is, Lord, there is liberty. And I speak that into their lives, O Lord, that every one of them, even now, will bow their heads and their knees to the Spirit of God and receive the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ into their lives through the Holy Spirit and walk free. And their past does not 
exist anymore. Every man and every woman who has believed and confessed is a prince and a princess in your sight. Amen. Even the bloodline has changed. Hallelujah. You have brought them into the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Yes, they are sons and daughters of the living God. Let them walk in victory and in that freedom, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. I plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over all your children here and everywhere, Lord. Covered, kept by the blood of Jesus. And we speak the blood of Jesus against the powers of darkness because it is written, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even unto death. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, 